It's November 8th, 2021. This is Rook. She is a British ballerina who is simply one of the best in the world and the first Persian dancer to ever join the Royal Ballet Company. Yasmin Nakhdi was born to an Iranian father and a Belgian mother and was a ballet phenom from an early age, capturing the attention of the dance world. As a teenager, she was crowned Young British Dancer of the Year and just five years ago, at age 24, she became the principal ballerina of the Royal Ballet, the highest rank for a dancer. Yasmin Nakhdi joins us for a feature interview today from London, plus we have your letters of the week. This is Conversations From, To and About the Iranian Diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Hi there, welcome to episode 154 of Rook. Nice to be talking to you. Hope you're keeping well. Wherever you are tuning in from around the world, hello to you from Toronto, Canada. Salam, Dustan Aziz, Dur Bashama. Hello, Gurvishaya. Hi, Aziz. How, how are you doing? I'm doing good, actually. How, how are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing well. Hello, Captain Reza. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. And uh, hello, the fabulous Kian. Hi, Gian. Oh. Oh. What, did I say weird? I, I don't know. I don't know what you did there. I have no idea what you just did. I just said your name. Well, you said it with some drama in your voice. Listen, uh, this Yasmin Nardi, who is coming up, um, I, I was thinking about her, and I was thinking about the Iranian community. First of all, uh, be honest. Be rook. Have yeah. any of you guys heard of her before this? No. Before we chose her to come mm-hmm. on the show? No. Right, nope. uh, and that's not because I mean, I mean you're not ballet aficionados. Well, actually, I, you are. I love the ballet, and you've never heard of and Yasmin. And I'm Nazi. ashamed that I don't know her well, name. Here, well, here, because now you know something about mm-hmm. her, right? Well, and, and I don't want to say that. I mean, obviously, there's people listening who who will uh, know who she is and mm-hmm. know of her and know of know how great she is. But uh, I'm more specifically talking about the Iranian community. Mm-hmm. Now, Yasmin did not grow up in Iran. Born in London, like myself, and she is half Persian. She, her dad is a Iranian, so you know, let's get that out there first. But you know, there are folks, well-known folks, stars of the Iranian community that everyone knows, right? Mm-hmm. That the, the Maz Jabrani. Yeah. We all know Maz Jabrani. We all know he's Iranian. We're all right. proud of Maz Jabrani. He's one of the comedians that the world recognizes, and we think he's great. Then there are folks who are supremely talented and super successful Mm -hmm. that the Iranian community doesn't necessarily know. I know this is changing with her. I know she's got a a gazillion uh, Instagram followers and stuff, and I know some of those are in Iran. But but for the most part, I've been asking around, Yasmin Nardi, you know, other than dancers or Mm -hmm. folks who really follow the ballet or those who are in the UK, they don't necessarily, and she is, I mean, she is truly one of the best in the world. Like she yeah. is 
the Michael Jordan, the the you wow. know the Wayne Gretzky, the 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 high day. I don't know. What's our, <laughs> yeah, who yeah. is our? Who is our? I mean, who do we say? Hyde actually is perfect. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, she is. Just to put this in perspective, there are maybe you know five. 10 ballet companies that are always cited as the best in the world, right? There's the Paris, uh, the, you know, the, the Moscow, there's, and, and the Royal Ballet is usually in the top five. So mm-hmm. this is one of the, the top companies in the world. Now, to become, uh, to get into that, to become a member of the company, the Royal Ballet, is quite an accomplishment. She is the principal ballerina wow. of the Royal Ballet. Do you know what that means, Shia? Uh, Based on your wow, I can. Yeah, see. she's like she's like the David Gilmore yes, of Pink after, Floyd. You yeah. know, she's like the yeah. you know principal. Try to get him to understand what, <laughs> how do you explain language. the Shia? Yeah, no, I, I got it. She's yeah. like Shajarion. <laughs> if they're yeah, I know, I know. If Shajarion was a band, if Shajarion was playing with a bunch of other people, and he's in the middle, yeah. and he's the spotlight is on him. <laughs> So can you imagine? She's wow. in her twenties, in late twenties now. Mm-hmm. She's you know the, the the principal ballerina of this company of of the Royal Ballet uh, at the Royal Opera House. I mean, she's got a a performance of Giselle coming up that's going to be streamed worldwide. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, all of that is super impressive. But you know, for us, I believe in the Iranian community around the world, this is the kind of person that we should know about. We should be celebrating. We should be talking about mm-hmm. just the focus and the perseverance and the raw talent to get to where she's gotten to yeah. let alone to be the first Middle Eastern dancer wow. to ever be in the exactly. Royal Ballet or the only one in the Royal I Ballet I don't know of any others I, I didn't even know about her so it's yeah. she's doing wow. a lot for the community it's amazing yeah. do you know how to say ballet in Farsi Jean? No. is there such a thing yeah ball Ballet? No. Actually, ballet. Ballet. Yeah, ballet. Yeah. And Thank you didn't say how to say ballerina. Thank you. That was really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than Sega OB. Come on. It's, at least it's close. Ballet. I didn't say is, how there, to say. is there ballet in Iran? Like, do they have ballet? Like, we I'm, have I'm ballet. I'm assuming yeah. they have no, ballet. No, no. We, we had Nima Kion on the show. We There was a ballet. Mm-hmm. Right. Before the revolution. Yes. Yeah, of course. We had I mean, everything the before revolution, the revolution. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. the ballet right yeah. now is second to none in Iran. Come on. I think ballet contravenes the rules. <laughs> the, uh, a little bit Islamic group. a little bit oh. uh, yeah but uh, anyway so Yasmin Nardi I mean I want to there's a lot I want to talk to her about it but, but especially the kind of discipline and focus that it takes oh, yeah. to become um, to, to, to get to this level like I, I, I gotta think I'll ask her but I gotta think she hasn't had you know it's it's like a it's one of these like I, like I was using superstar athletes for a reason because mm-hmm. You, they to get to that level, they've had to do it since they were, a, a, you know, a kid. And yes. and I know she joined the the Royal Ballet Company. I think she was eleven years old to twelve years old. So she couldn't have had much of a normal childhood, you know, or a teenager. Mm-hmm. Like she's not like you, Keon, mm-hmm. running around malls and you <laughs> know. What were you doing at fifteen? I, I mean, used to dance ballet, <laughs> but I wasn't that good. Is so that right? Like, well, yeah. I think every I don't Can't know. Can't even most, begin you know, to imagine you dancing. I had one of those mothers that wanted to raise like a perfect little girl and uh. And so she put me in ballet, uh, but I was I was too chubby <laughs> to really. No, no. I was a chubby little girl. Oh, see, now we can't make fun of you. Uh, I know, right? See, you turned it around. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because I was going to ask if uh, if you were dancing before or after you your nickname became the what bulldozer. Is it? The bulldozer, yeah. yeah. Yeah, see, I was not more a, not a moniker that nah. we associate with the ballet. The bulldozer. I was more the Keon soccer and rugby type than ballet. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. well, and. Uh, 
No, I mean, uh, I don't think anybody here is. Uh, I can't really imagine any of us dancing in the ballet. Nah, no, even me. You cannot imagine. I, you do have. You have a bit of a Nuriyev about you. A bit of a, a Russian. Uh, it would be uh, weird with his beard, though. Do they have the ballerinas? Don't have beards. Do I don't they? think they. I, ballerinas no. certainly don't. No. I, well, you ballet, what do you call a male ballerina? I think a, a male ballerina. That's a good, yeah, I, I think, think they're called so. ballerinas. That's, yeah, I'm not sure. But anyway, male ballet dancers. I think they have a beard sometimes in character. Oh yes. yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think it would probably <laughs> slow you down. Normal. And this guy at this point, it's dragging on the floor. He can't. He'd get his. Uh, he'd be on point, and you know, uh, on top of his own beard. I can see him doing interpretive dance though, <laughs> moving with the yeah, yeah. wind. But you know, I also think that um, that. Uh, Iranian because it's so sad we get into this stuff with the revolution we should, I should get to the interview yeah. should get to the but I was just going to say we don't Iranians don't one of the reasons they don't know the ballet dancer I mean they probably don't know a lot of hip hop a lot of dancers in general yeah. you know we have friends who are who are great dancers in the Iranian community who who are not as well known as other kinds of cultural mm-hmm. leaders you know in our community mm-hmm. and and you you can kind of go okay well since because 42 years ago this was cut off at the knees all puns intended at, at in Iran um, it, it it's become out of sight out of mind and so the only the dancing that people think of is Baba Karam, Baba Karam is the pre-1979 yeah. you know yeah. and the stuff that and because it just hasn't been a, a real community within Iran you know I mean yeah. even as music has pop pop music has climbed its way back into the, the imagination of folks in Iran and and the reality of folks in Iran dance no, no. right no. So it's just not top of my. There's the culture of let's go see a dance performance doesn't no. exist, I guess, as much, right? Like, yeah. I, and if, now that I think about it, I don't know a lot of Iranian. I know they do, but uh, I, do, I don't know a lot of Iranians in in our community that go, you know, who are eager to go to the National Ballet of Canada, yeah, you know, and see. Agreed. I mean, do you know how much trouble I have every season trying to find someone to go with? But that's because you date the wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> you don't <laughs> date cultural people. Friends. You are an interest that you are interested in no. culture but you date guys who are not uh, no man even like my Persian friends none of them have any interest in the opera the ballet art galleries I don't know oh. it's just what is it yeah. is it my generation no no no, no. That, that you're absolutely right art is a bit different I feel like the art galleries, like mm. I feel like Iranians are a little bit more, right. you know, because that has sustained somehow, yeah. you know. But, but opera and ballet is a generational thing because I think even in Canada, like the ticket is like much cheaper if you're under 30. Right, and you're exactly. Buy it's no, for sure, for sure. That's that's one of the classic, what they, mm. you know, the, mm-hmm. the as they call it, quote unquote, the high arts. Yeah. One of the challenges is uh, I was on the Stratford board for years. It was always, how do we get young people to come see mm-hmm. the theater at Stratford and things like that and, and say, with the national ballet but it is a there's there's cultural virtue to going to these things mm-hmm. where, that I, I feel like is absent in some of the I, these are generalizations obviously mm-hmm. if you're Iranian listening to this somewhere in the world going I always go to the ballet I, that's that's true but mm-hmm. that you do exist but I, I don't think anyway all of this circles back to someone like Yasmin who I just want the whole world to know about you yeah. know because I'm so proud of I mean Let's see how the interview goes. Maybe, sure maybe we won't be as proud amazing. of her after. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. she, she, sound, she looks lovely. She looks like... 
Don't judge people on the basis of their looks. <laughs> well, she looks like a ballerina. That's what she does for a living. <laughs> Judges people based on their looks. We are coming to you on rookmedia.com. It's there that you can link to all of our platforms. We're on an ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. Coming to you on Spotify, on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, CastBox. If you like to see some visuals with Rook, switch over to YouTube right now where you can uh, see pictures of Yasmin Nahdi. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and Persian, check us out on Telegram. All of those are at Rook Media. And we would love you to become a patron of our show. So how do you support Rook? You go to our website, rookmedia.com. Press the button on the top right-hand corner that says support us, funny enough. And uh, for a monthly uh, fee of any any amount that you want, starting at $5, $10, some folks do a couple hundred bucks a month, um, you can become a patron. Uh, we would love you to. And uh, any amount means a lot to us. I had a good weekend. Um, you, you know, amongst other reasons why. Arsenal. Arsenal. Ah. I mean, the boys, you know, the shit I've taken from you, <laughs> peanut gallery folks, for loving Arsenal so much. You know, with the comeback boys, we're in the top five yes, oh, in nice. the Premier League now. Yeah, finally. I wore my jersey all weekend. I was actually really, I mean, uh, you know. And and it's funny because I post about Arsenal on some of my social media. I don't really do a lot of social media, but I'm starting to find Iranians now what? who, no who are Arsenal. I was so, going to ask you, who do you watch these games with? Oogie? Oogie is an Arsenal fan. Uh, no, actually, I, I know about... I mean, I watch with other friends who are into soccer. Okay, just know, not Arsenal football. specifically. But no, no, I, I have some... Uh, I, I know oh, you do. specific folks Good. who are Arsenal fans. As long fans, as you're yeah. not alone. But I was going <laughs> to... Sometimes I'm alone, and I'm fine with that. I, I, I'm happy to watch. I actually kind of like watching football... Uh, I don't like distractions. So, really? yeah, if you're going to watch it with oh, me, you can't be yammering on. Keep your mouth shut. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, Afshin Nagoni, you know, the, uh, yeah. the, the fabulous painter in, in the UK. Yeah. Huge Arsenal fan. No, or way. no yes. way. He's an Arsenal yeah, fan. He is. Uh, Leili Bazagon. She's on an Arsenal La- fan, too. Leili's a diehard Are you uh, Arsenal me? fan. It used to be wow. on, uh, she's a TV personality and an artist herself. And uh, of course, so with Shaheen Najafi, Leili is a partner of, of his. She is uh, not a partner, <laughs> a partner. <laughs> his one partner. One of the many partners that Shaheen. Uh, Leili's a big. And then, you know, when I was in Istanbul and I, uh, some of the folks of Rastok, uh-huh. Were, were in Istanbul and I was uh, uh, hanging out with them and I, I made Farzad. Remember Farzad yes, from remember. Rastok? Yeah, he's the lead singer and plays. Uh, I made him, I didn't make him, but <laughs> he's kind of a football fan. So I was like, you got to watch an Arsenal game with me. So now he's become this Arsenal guy. He claims that he, uh, in deference to me, <laughs> so such a sweetheart, <laughs> that he's now thrown in with Arsenal. And so he, the, he's like texting me oh. in the middle of games, like all excited, you know. From Iran, from Turkey, wherever oh, he is, look at you know. That. You found your own people. I have That's found wonderful. my people. You know how, f- how good that feels. A combination of Arsenal yeah. musician and it's converting the artists people too. Yeah, that's right. But he won't get to us. Let me tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, Keon, you'll have to understand the rules of soccer. I do. Before I used you. to play. It, that's actually. right. You used yes. to play. Now that Bulldozer. I can see you doing exactly. Yeah, I'd be terrified. <laughs> I played Play it against. wrong. I you, you know should, tackled girls. We should <laughs> do a co-ed do game with Keon. That's what I've been saying. But you guys are too. I'm scared, scared to play exactly. against Keon. Me too. Actually, I'm so a pretty good soccer player, but I feel like she'll. 
there'll be like red cards well, handed out and we'll be limping off the field. You know, we'll be hospitalized. I was watching UFC on the weekend and there's a, you know, um, Doug, uh, what's her name? Rose? She's like the yeah. UFC champion. Mixed I was watching, martial arts like yeah, that. Yeah, and honestly, I watch her with envy. That should have been me. Wow. <laughs> you can my still do that. Allowed, Can't no, you do it's that? too no. late, man. Yeah. That, that ship has yeah. sailed. But yeah, well, my mom never let me get into like boxing, martial arts and all that. But anyway, right. typical Persian mom, you know. <laughs> I should mention for this episode, big shout out to Fadid Amaryun and York National Realty for helping to bring this uh, episode of Rook to Your Ears and Eyes. York National Realty, a boutique real estate company based in Aurora, Ontario, Canada, that provides top tier service with its team of Fadid, Sean Fadavi, and Nahal Soltani. They're a full service realty firm that's there for everyone, from first time home buyers to investors. Keon. Investors are looking good. for from first time home buyers, Reza. Yes. To investors, Keon. Yes. <laughs> looking for new opportunities in the communities they serve. Uh, fa- and uh, and for folks who like to just visit homes. <laughs> Shia? Yeah, I was trying to, how do I include Shia? <laughs> And for folks who will never have a chance of buying a house, Shia, <laughs> uh, Farid and his team have also made it their mission to give back to the Iranian community and the diaspora. They supported a number of Persian community events and projects. Listen, if you're looking for real estate, this boutique firm, especially if you're in the Aurora, Richmond Hill, Newmarket area, this is the firm where you should go. York National Realty, Farid, Sean, and Nahal at York National Realty, yorknational.com. Hey, this Contemporary History of Iran series that we're doing on Thursdays continues to chuck along and get a lot of attention. So last week, we did the creation of Kanun. Yeah. And um, it's been, I know you have some letters. Oh, yeah. Right? It was really, it's funny because when that subject came up as one of the possibilities of something we're going to do for the Contemporary History of Iran, which we call CHOI, because the Uh acronym of Mm. Contemporary History of Iran spells CHOI, for CHOI, I was like, yeah, really? People are going to be interested in a schooling Mm -hmm. system of (laughs) teaching kids creativity. And you guys, or at least like Savvy Roham and Ahai Merdad, and like we're all dewy eyed. There was like tears, and oh, it's this thing. It's so beautiful. And I see that now, now that we've done the episode uh, with Lily Amir Arjaman, who was one of the creators, one of the founders. Um, people have this beautiful connection to mm-hmm. Kanun. It was immense so much to them. This, um, what started as a children's library and then became this, you know, creative network that still exists for kids in Iran to learn about uh, arts, culture, poetry, etc. Yeah, right? Yeah. When you first mentioned it, I was like, really, a school? <laughs> We're kids like, of the diaspora. We don't know man, this stuff. That, yeah. that that episode was probably one of my favorites. Just. Like how much it meant to those kids, I can't even imagine that beautiful cultural space. Oh. Yeah, and, yeah. and because touching. it continued post-revolution, a lot of like kids that were born after mm-hmm. the revolution, like myself, like they, everybody is aware of it. They mm-hmm. either were like were involved or part of it. They attended it or took mm-hmm. courses. And stuff I'm not sure it. if it's a promotion for Conan to say you <laughs> you attended. I uh, didn't. I didn't attend. Oh, okay. So. That's why. That's all right. <laughs> that's see, what happened. If this ha- if that happened in a European country or in the U.S., yeah. it would be a movie. It would be like turned into a 
movie. But right. because it's in our like somebody should make a movie out of Reza. If what happened? The, the, like the Reza not going. <laughs> the story of Kanu and like uh-huh. the how just how much it changed. Yes. So many kids' lives. Yes. Yeah. A beautiful yeah. story. Well, maybe you know. we have a filmmaker amongst yes, us. Yes. Right. Yeah. Raise the money, and I'd be more than right. glad See, to. That's the you immediately go to that <laughs> instead of thinking about gonna, the beautiful creativity I of what you could do. To think about hey, if you guys want to pay me, I'll. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not about paying me. It uh, costs money uh, to do it. But. So this week on the Contemporary History of Iran, ready? The yes. story of Kehan. Ooh. Oh. Kehan the magazine. Well, the newspaper, the right? newspaper. A daily newspaper that it did spawn mm-hmm. some magazines and all that. But Kehan this year is 80 years in existence. Now, there's an asterisk yeah. on that because obviously the Kehan that exists post-1979 mm-hmm. is a very different Kehan from pre-1979. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the story of how this daily newspaper, which, which at one point at its peak in the 60s and 70s was the most important and influential newspaper of the Middle East, mm-hmm. uh, we have somebody who is an, an historic figure directly oh. tied to Kehan coming on for the Contemporary History Run this Thursday. What's the na- can we get the name? Nope. Not? Okay. No, cool. that's, you got to tune in Thursday, Good Keon. Talk. Drum rolls. <laughs> All right. You got some letters compiled? Yeah. Yes, I All do. Right, we'll get to the letters after our feature guest. Thank you, the Groovy Shia, the Captain Reza, and the fabulous Keon. See you guys in a little bit. My feature guest today is a superstar British ballerina of Iranian descent with a Persian dad and a Belgian mom. And she has the distinction of being the first Persian ballerina and the only Middle Eastern ballerina to be in the Royal Ballet Company. Yasmin Nardi was born in London, England and was on stage performing by the age of eight. She ended up getting into the Royal Ballet School and becoming a full-time company member at only 17 years old in 2010, that is, after winning the Young British Dancer of the Year competition. In 2017, at 24 years of age, she became the principal dancer of the Royal Ballet in the UK. Her major roles have included Odette and Odile in Swan Lake, Aurora in The Sleeping Beauty, Juliet in Romeo and Juliet, The Sugar Plum Fairy in The Nutcracker, Kitri in Don Quixote, Tatiana in Onyegin, and The Firebird, to name just a few. And she's performed worldwide in New York, Chicago, Washington, San Francisco, Tokyo, Osaka, Shanghai, Moscow, Monaco, Madrid, Barcelona, etc. A new book about Yasmin's life entitled Tears of a Ballet Mom and written by her mother will be in bookstores and Amazon at the end of this month. And Yasmin's upcoming performance in the romantic ballet Giselle on the Covent Garden stage will be streamed worldwide. But first, right now, Yasmin Nardi joins me from London, England today. Hello. Hello, what an introduction. Thank you so much. (laughs) So thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. You know, last month you had your first full-length performance back in the Royal Opera House since February of 2020. That must have been a thrill. How did it feel? It was an absolute thrill. I mean, we missed it terribly. It was a real void in you know for all of us it was such a a different life that we all had to go through so to finally get back on stage doing what we're so used to doing was really an incredible feeling and to hear a full auditorium of applause that was amazing because we had little experiences here and there where we did performances amongst you know stopping and starting all of the lockdowns that we had but we had a 50 percent capacity audience so that was very very different a sound you know a very different sound um so you know it's absolutely fantastic to be back 
and doing what we're what we love. And it was Romeo and Juliet you did, right? Yes, that's right. Romeo and Juliet. It's, it's an interesting one because you first performed the role of Juliet with the Royal Ballet when when you were twenty two, and so recently you've just danced Juliet again. Does does your approach to the role change as you get older? I mean, I'm thinking of that, and I think it's a it's a narrative ballet. So you're telling a story. Is the story different for you at 29? Well, it's a very good thing to point out. Obviously, we grow as artists. We mature. A lot has happened in the last few years. Um, I'd say, you know, I definitely approach it in a different way, but I try and keep the same essence that I had the very first time. Because, of course, Julia is a role that where she's very young, she's effervescent, she's got a spring in her step, she's quite naive. Um, and I think it's important to, to hold on to those feelings of youth um, as one gets older. But I think it's it's nice that we can bring a maturity to the way we approach a role, but it's important to keep the essence. By the way, um, I didn't mean to be implying you're old. You're, you're clearly not, although... <laughs> Although in ballet years, I guess you're, you know, you're middle-aged or something, right? That that role, though, Juliet, must also have some sentimental value for you, as it was one of your first big opportunities dancing for the Royal Ballet, yes? Absolutely. Um, every time I revisit this role, it does feel special. It's like coming home to, you know, it's that kind of baby that you revive every time you revisit a role. It's something that is really true to my heart. Um, I feel very comfortable in this role and I love that because it is a narrative ballet that I can approach it in different ways every single time, that it doesn't have to be so specific, that I can, you know, the potion scene at the end, you can do it in so many different ways and that's what keeps it really interesting, that it's different every single show. Yasmin, you talk about how how good it felt to be back on stage. I mean, coming out of the pandemic must have some exuberance for you because I can only imagine you've had such a rigid and structured schedule for most of your life, training since you were a kid. What was it like to suddenly have to rethink your days? There's no rehearsals, there's no performances, pretty much for the first time in your life, right? For for many, many years, did you go through some kind of A-type personality withdrawal? <laughs> I think at first, it was a really welcome break, <laughs> I have to admit, um, because we were really working at 100 miles an hour. So for me, it was kind of, oh, I can have some time to breathe. Um, so I quite enjoyed having a little break. Um, but then, of course, the reality set in that this was going to take a lot longer than we first expected. And the Zoom ballet classes began and the yoga and the Pilates and strength training. Um, and then, of course, the deadline of when we thought we would maybe come back and, and start dancing Swan Lake again. We were told that that wouldn't happen and that we would have the summer break. Um, so, of course, there were days where I woke up and I thought, I can't face dancing in my living room again. Um, and I feel like I approached it quite well. I just, I took it upon myself, you know, just don't feel pressure, just take the day. Um, if you're having a low day, just take it. I was really enjoying cooking as everyone was during the pandemic. I did do a banana bread. Um, <laughs> and I was also studying Italian language. Um, so I was keeping myself busy with, with things here and there. It is particularly impressive. I mean, look, everyone had to deal with the pandemic and obviously folks lost their jobs or or even worse, you know, uh, lost their lives with COVID. But 
Uh, so we don't want to overplay the drama of it. But, you know, thinking about someone who is, I mean, you've said you depend on structure. You know, you need a schedule and a to-do list to get, uh, you say, to even get through the, the most basic things in life. So uh, what is a normal day for you in, in a non-pandemic period? I completely agree. It's uh, We really depend on that structure. And for me, when I'm approaching my day in a non-pandemic way, I love approaching it as I prepare for a role. Um, for example, now working towards Giselle, I put great importance on doing a lot of jumping, a lot of jump preparation, because there are a lot of jumps involved in this ballet, keeping my endurance up, my stamina. Um, I'd be going to the gym, doing things like leg press to, to prepare my legs for the impact, calf raises with extra weight. Um, and of course, when the pandemic hit, everything comes to a halt and we didn't have that striving to prepare for a role. So there wasn't anything motivating us anymore. It was just wake up and do some dancing to keep your body ticking over. So that was what was really hard at times to just go and face a computer and do a ballet class for the sake of doing a ballet class. That was what was quite hard sometimes. But I do think that, I mean, my pet theory is that for the most part, there's exceptions to this, but for the most part, very successful people tend to be very organized people. Um, so, and I know that you're very organized. Are, are you like this in all aspects of your life? Like, like you recently got engaged. Will you be OCD about the nuptials with your fiance? How, how structured <laughs> are you in terms of needing that rigidity? I promise not to be a bridezilla, <laughs> um, but I'm definitely organized. My the, the partner I'm dancing with on stage, Matthew Ball for Giselle, he said to me yesterday, actually, he was like, Yasmin, I've never seen you in a ripped up outfit or anything that's old or a bit rugged. He was like, you're always really well put together. And, you know, at first I thought, oh, thank you. I mean, I don't make, it's not a conscious effort. It's just the way I like to be. I like to be very organized and put together. It's it's how I feel myself. Um, but in terms of, you know, preparations for a wedding, we're taking it quite slowly um, and we're going to do it in two years time. Um, but no, I'm quite laid back with that. Actually, for now, maybe closer to the time, I'll become a little bit more. Do you need to, I mean, how, do you need to make your bed every day? Do you, do you leave dishes in the sink? I mean, how, how particular are you? Um, yeah, I make my bed absolutely every day and I can't leave the house with dishes in the sink. So that gives you an idea. <laughs> and the, the throw on the bed has to be completely in line. And yeah, so that's me. And that is in line with the perfectionism that the ballet demands. Let's get to that in a little while, because I want to ask you about that. First, take me back to how this all happened for you. I mean, the story is that you were a hyperactive kid and that watching the ballet on TV was the one thing that would calm you down. Is that really a true story? So the first ballet I saw on TV was a William Forsyth ballet, contemporary ballet called In the Middle Somewhat Elevated. And it's kind of in the name. It's very, very different. It's not a classical ballet. It wasn't tutus and tiaras. It was the athleticism and the music to me was terrifying. I found it really scary. It was quite disjointed, erratic. And I found it so interesting, the athleticism of these dancers, that I just kind of stood still in front of the TV watching these dancers. So it's, I quite like that it's not a tutu and tiara situation. 
But but it's true that this would become a thing like your parents to, you know, if they wanted to shut Yasmin down, would would just put the ballet on the TV. Is that? I right? think it wouldn't be as easy as that. Like like you said, I, I was very hyperactive. I started doing gymnastics. That was the first outlet of energy trial um, they did with me. And then ballet followed as a friend did it. And I wanted to do it as well. And the combination, I just remember the combination of music and movement and the focus that I became very concentrated at that moment. Um, and it was off from there. I absolutely gelled with it from the first lesson. I loved the energy outlet. I loved the music. Um, and I was very musical at school as well. I did singing, violin, piano. Um, so it, it gelled very, very easily. And you would do these little performances for your parents? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Every <laughs> every Saturday night, I tell them to all sit down and watch my performances and I would just go crazy. And then my sister would come and kind of push me over and, you know, I'd get very upset. She ruined my performance. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was prescribed. It was Saturday nights. Was there, did you actually have a particular performance like it was you had prepared? I think my parents just put on some music and I would just go. (laughs) (laughs) And were you you actually doing ballet at that point already? Or were you just sort of anything, any kind of movement, you know, holding the crowd? I think I thought it was ballet. It could have been anything, to be honest. (laughs) But it was constant movement and legs up here and arms moving around there. So, yeah, climbing door frames and dancing on tables and all the whole lot. By the way, the idea of a hyperactive kid is so incongruous with the smooth and, you know, uh, romantic idea of a ballerina for me. I don't know why. Does it make sense to you? Well, I would say yes. I mean, I think most children tend to be hyperactive and not that it's a way to tame a child, but I would say that it kind of soothes that hyperactivity, it gets out of the system what a child would need, that energy outlet completely, and gives the child a focus. And ballet itself requires a lot of dedication and focus. Um, and it kind of, it comes with the nature of, of dance. So it's it's a really great art form for a child, not necessarily to pursue, to, to do in the future, but it gives a child a really great um, dedication and focus. And you can carry that through life with you with whatever you do. So it's it's one thing to love ballet as a hobby. It's quite another to approach it as a career. I mentioned in the introduction that you're the first person of Persian descent in the Royal Ballet. That Persian is on your dad's side. Uh, and it sounds like he was pretty Persian about things early on, <laughs> saying that this was not a career that, uh, you know, you needed to go to university. Um, thankfully, he and your mom have obviously supported your journey in ballet from when you were a kid. H- how did he come around? Completely right. Um, there was a big discussion. And I remember him saying, you know, you need, you're very good at history. You need to pursue this. You need to go down the academic route. You know, you don't want to throw that away. But... Um, you know, luckily my, my parents are so good at kind of discussing these things and they, you know, they thought, who are we to determine what our child does in her future? And if she wants to do this and it doesn't work out, then we're there to support her no matter what. So there's always a backup plan. Um, and I remember two years into my training at White Lodge Lower School, which is the Royal Ballet School from the age of 11 to 16. When I did my first two years there, she she looked at me and said, you know, if you ever don't want to do this or it doesn't make you happy, you know, you can always stop. And I looked at her and I said, don't ever doubt 
this is what I want to do. And you saying this to me shows that you're doubting what mm -hmm. I want to do. And she was, you know, completely taken back at that. And, and she holds that very dear to, I think she mentions that in her book as well, mm. um, that moment, because it was really coming from a child that was 13, 14 years old, quite a strong statement to say, like, don't doubt me. This is what I want to do. You know, I, I mean, just to um, press pause on the interview for a second and say, you know, there, there's so... Uh, we so often on this program, when we're talking about people of Persian descent and the diaspora, talk about the pressure that is put on Persian kids um, to be a doctor or engineer. And it, it just becomes this kind of norm. It's almost like a joke every time. Oh, they, we, they, my parents wanted me to be a doctor and engineer. But the pressure is real and oftentimes effective. I mean, the kid, you know, doesn't go into the arts. I had to fight to go into the arts with my parents. And and um, and you're an example of... of what we would lose if you had been forced to to go into i mean forget uh, even history i mean but uh, to go into engineering or something like that not that there's anything wrong with engineering but i mean here you are you know you're you're literally one of the best in the world at what you do and we wouldn't have that if if uh, if you weren't allowed to pursue where your heart was going that's true i know it's crazy to think that but you know i parents hold such an important role in in what their children become and like you said i think it's really important that that parents are encouraged and are sensitive to what their children are good at and i hope that in the future whatever the future holds for me that you know i can i can be that for whatever happens you know? <laughs> i i know they're incredibly supportive for you i mean they they actually help facilitate this interview your parents they're clearly really involved and proud of you tell me about your relationship with them as you've become this professional now so my parents were very very present in my ballet training and my dad was always the kind of the comforter and my mom was almost she almost became a bit of a coach for me. And I think that has helped me greatly, just like famous tennis players that have coaches, football players that have coaches. We don't have that so much in the ballet world. We don't have a mentor as such. So to have my mum there doing everything she could, reading up on sports psychology, on nutrition, on um, performance recovery. She did everything she absolutely could to give herself the most knowledge possible to then aid me with my journey. Um, and I'm forever grateful for her doing that because I had some low moments, of course, with, you know, teachers that I didn't get along with or moments where I felt like maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe it's not what I should pursue anymore. And she always kind of was, I call her my guardian angel, mm -hmm. my fairy godmother, that she was always there to kind of pick up the pieces, put me back together and, and help me onwards and upwards. So I definitely wouldn't be where I am without their support. And I'm very, very grateful for that. How much was... How much did your dad teach you about being Iranian? Did he, did you, have you been to Iran? Did you, did he ever take you to Iran? I have, I have. I think I've been on two occasions when I was really little. Um, and I have some very clear memories um, of being in a carpet shop. That's one very, very <laughs> clear memory I have. And then that there were some beautiful fountains there with lights. And I remember as a kid, that was what I was fascinated by. And of course, seeing photos of um, being in in these beautiful places, um, that kind of brings back some memories. 
And I remember being on a swing um, in the house that, that his family have. And there are all these children around me just touching my skin because I had slightly lighter than skin mm. than, than everyone else. So they were kind of all fascinated by my skin. And I remember being really scared by it. <laughs> um, but he he made sure I could have the pronunciation. So he would make me do the, the exercises for the pronunciation of the words to make sure that um, I could pronounce, <laughs> I could speak Farsi, but uh, he didn't do he didn't do so much as to teach it to me properly. He kind of didn't see the point. But, but he uh, does call you Yasamam when he's angry at you. Yasamam, yeah. yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's when I've done something wrong. Otherwise, it's Yassi at home. <laughs> right. You you start your vocational training at the Royal Ballet School in two thousand and four. I mean, that would make you around. 11 years old. You appear on stage uh, at the Royal Opera House at 11 in Cinderella. You make an appearance in Swan Lake at age 12. What what was it like to be a, a kid performing in that kind of venue and at that kind of level? I mean, when you think about it that way, it's so young to be on stage and doing such amazing productions on a world stage. Um, but I was very lucky that I went to a dance school that did a lot of performances when we were young. So I was quite used to performing already, also having done my performances for my family at home every Saturday night. Um, but I was quite easy on stage. I didn't suffer so much from stage fright, um, which was quite lucky. So when it came to things like auditions or our yearly appraisals, I was able to keep my nerves quite at bay, um, which I'm really grateful for now, especially after the pandemic, having had such a break from the stage. It was it was interesting to see that a bit more nerves crept in because we weren't as used to performing mm. as much. So I'm, I'm grateful that I can draw upon uh, my younger years where I kind of was carefree performing on stage. You know, yes, but we hear about all the nightmarish pressure put on young people, young girls going into fields like ballet, from disciplinarian coaches to being told how they should look, what they should weigh. Uh, how aware were you of that kind of pressure we've heard about in the past, and did you have to face it? I would say I was incredibly lucky. I am incredibly lucky. I I never really had to watch my weight. I was naturally very slim, um, and especially going through a growth spurt, I often had people worried whether you know I was eating enough. Um, to which my mum would reply, "You don't know. You know, she eats a lot, a lot of food." Um, I'm pa I'm a passionate foodie. I love cooking. I love food, good, good food. Um, I grew up with a lot of my dad's Persian dishes like abgoush, khoresh um, karafs, all of these amazing dishes um, that I have yet to master myself. But I was lucky that I never, I never had to watch what I ate. And especially now when our workload goes up, I have to make sure I eat even more. Um, and my, my fiance, who's Italian, he thought when we were first dating, he thought, oh good, you know, I'm dating a ballet dancer. She'll give me more of her food. <laughs> and actually <laughs> I tend to take more of his. <laughs> He's a bit disappointed by. But that. what about the the long hours? I mean, when you look back at it, do you even when even your experience when you were ten or something, is it something that we we should rethink or be concerned about in terms of the the pressure that people are put into, or or were you again immune to that because the Royal Ballet system has sort of weeded that out somehow? It's an interesting question. If I look back on it. And I remember thinking, wow, this workload is really heavy. And even continuing through to the upper school at the age of 16, where the workload then again went up, 
for ad young adolescents who you know are going through puberty and and all types of changes hormone changes and everything it is a heavy heavy workload but would i change it maybe the approach in terms of recovery time because we we have a lot more knowledge now on sports science and how important recovery is for muscles um for longevity but i think it was necessary because it does prepare the dancer for a professional career and some of the demands that i've had to go through where i thought oh my gosh i have a performance this evening and i've been killed throughout the day with rehearsals i don't know where it's going to come from right. and they can say dancers are superhuman we find the strength from somewhere to to dance having the recovery time after is not always there and that is something that i think we could change in the future but i would say that looking back in the past the hours were necessary to to prepare us for for what we do now what about mental anxiety i mean you know uh most kids don't need to audition each year to go to school i when i finished grade nine i didn't have to audition to go into grade 10 at my public school all the way up to you were auditioning the whole way from you know one school to another to get into the main company how stressful was it to be a kid constantly getting evaluated on being good enough to get into each new level of school it is definitely a big pressure for a child and children are going through all changes um throughout different ages but it's it's definitely a tough one to deal with and i think if you haven't got that support from home it makes it even harder then you know you need the support with friends which again obviously it's a very competitive environment that's not always there you have to draw strength from yourself but if if a child doesn't have the the knowledge and the support that's been given to them to support themselves where are they going to get it from so there i think we're in the conversation of we need more psychology to help children support themselves along their journey do you lament that you didn't have or couldn't have a, a quote-unquote normal teenagehood, childhood, hanging out in malls, dating, eating junk food, I don't know, uh, staying out late, watching movies? Uh, I, I mean, were there moments while you were doing it or in retrospect that you look back and go, oh, I wish I had experienced more of that? I think I definitely didn't have a normal teenage years of just you know but i in all honesty i really wasn't the type to 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 go for that so i think this lifestyle suited me quite well i was very diligent at school i i you know i wanted to do my best at everything i could the academics and the ballet side and also to look after myself having the rest um so i i didn't feel i missed out too much because that it wasn't really in my personality to go crazy partying and staying out late etc etc it wasn't wasn't who i was so in all honesty i don't think i missed out on that too much where i think it got a bit difficult was in my early years in the company when i was in the corps de ballet for example where you're a young adult there i felt like wow now i want to go and kind of be in the city and have a bit of a social life and meet people outside of the dance world yet you're on every single night because you're one of those 24 swans um mm. so that's where i think i thought oh you know the struggle is there and on a saturday night we you know we want to go and have drinks together and celebrate shows finishing but you're exhausted and you should be recovering there you just have to find the balance 
to get to get that. Not only that, but you, I mean, not only that, but you joined the Royal Ballet at seventeen, which is very young. I, I can only imagine that it would get lonely being the youngest in the company. Like everybody sort of pats you on the head, but doesn't want to take you out and corrupt you right so you're you're sort of by yourself in the middle of all that yes um for me it was a difficult transition because when i started my second year at the royal ballet school upper school i was 17 16 turning 17 and i got moved up a year into the third year so there already i rocked the boat because i came in as a younger one into the graduating year group And then I got my contract early that year and I joined in April. So what was meant to be a three-year upper school, I did it in a year and a half and then joined the Royal Ballet um, at the age of 17. And again, it's a new transition where I joined a year group and then I joined a company. Um, And of course, it was halfway through a year, which is quite rare. Usually new joiners start in September. So I didn't join with a group of people where it was kind of like minds, you know, stick together. Mm. I was very much alone. Um, and exactly like you said, it was difficult to to join groups because the new joiners that year, they'd already formed their group. Um, and then you're amongst this quarter ballet of women of all ages and all different points of their life. So it was a difficult adjustment for me to kind of fit in at first. I want to ask you about that. I want to ask you about how it felt when you finally got to the top of the proverbial mountain. I mean, I mentioned that you you win the Young British Dancer of the Year competition in 2009. It's only six or seven years later that you are promoted to the Royal Ballet's highest rank to become a principal ballerina. One would assume that this would be the dream of a dancer who's worked so very hard for a lifetime, albeit a short lifetime. You're in your early 20s at that point. Did it feel like you were living your dream or could you stop and even smell the roses or or does it for that matter? Well, of course, it's an amazing feeling, an indescribable feeling. It it feels like it's a culmination of all the hard work that you've done from day one has led up to this moment and you've achieved this this dream, this goal, this ultimate goal that I always had set for myself. But you never know whether it's really going to happen for you. A lot has to do with timing and luck and, you know, right place, right time. But when when I was told of my promotion, I just thought, wow, this this feels incredible. But then, of course, you have the other reality that sets in of now the work begins again you know in every single rank there's there's that feeling of okay now i have to prove that i'm worthy of being a principal (laughs) and i'm joining a rank where there are already so many established principals ahead of me um and you have to find your place again so you have to reinvent yourself and you have to kind of again there's a lot of trust you need a lot of trust in yourself and in my first year of being a principal that was the year i found the hardest because i thought I, you know, it was all about, I have to prove I'm I'm worth being a principal dancer here and feeling comfortable enough with having less performances, less stage opportunities when I was used to being on in every single production. So all of a sudden you're less used to being on stage, but you're dancing as a principal, you're being judged as a principal, you're not getting an opportunity as a first soloist, as a dancer getting, you know, their, their shot. So now you had to kind of show that you're worthy of your position. It's a it's a perfect segue for me to come back to. I mentioned I want to come back to perfectionism, um, and you've said 
ballet is always striving for perfection, quote unquote. Um, it's, it's not unlike the, our Persian side too, which is, uh, you know, dad, I got an A. That's his great. But you know, Reza, he, he got to A plus, you know, it's like, oh, I gotta, I still have to keep going here. Um, it's impressive to be striving for perfection, but it's also daunting. Can, can Yasmin, can you ever be totally happy with yourself in a performance if you're thinking about something that you can do better? It's taken a pandemic for me to step back and look at how I approach my work. And it's been an interesting change. I feel like I'm getting there, but it's only it's only happened now. And there were times whilst having been a principal um, a few years ago, where you know I would come off for performances and just think oh, it was good, but there was that one moment, and that one moment I hold on to, and I'm upset for weeks. Or you know, if something goes really well, I think, oh, that's great. Okay, on to the next thing. And I thought that's such a backward way of thinking. You do something good, and you kind of push it aside, and you do a little hiccup here and there, and you focus on that for weeks on end. Um, so when we came back from the pandemic, this was before the summer, so we'd had the three lockdowns and we have our 50% audience in, I felt more anxiety than usual. Um, and I wasn't enjoying my performances as I used to. And I took a step back and I thought, this is not okay. This is not a good way for me to continue my career feeling this way. So step back, readdress. What do I need to change about the way I'm thinking and approaching my performances? And it's exactly what you're saying. I had to let go of that perfectionist trait. I had to stop telling myself if I had a little slip, if I didn't hold a balance as much as I wanted to, I can't hold on to that because life's too short. Um, and I'm getting better. I, I have to say I, I'm better at shaking things off. If something happens, something happens. C'est la vie, we move on, um, you know, and at the end of the day, we're all human beings. I'm not a robot. It can't be absolutely perfect every time. And I think it would be boring if it was too perfect. So yes, striving for that perfection of reaching our ultimate limit in everything we do, but I've let go of that everything has to be perfect. You know, I, I don't mind little rough at the edges. I think it's more important to let yourself go and allow your soul to be free on stage. I think that will radiate more to the audience than a step perfect show can you admit how good you are i mean can you admit to yourself or and the world for that matter that you're literally one of the best in the world at what you do i'll never say that <laughs> i could never say that why wouldn't you say that it's you know it's the impossible thing to ask a dancer i think i think a lot of people would agree it's very hard for us to say i'm great you know i i think I have a long way to go. I have a lot to work on. I have a lot of growth to do. You'll never hear me saying, <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> it's a constant, you know, work in progress. And I'll, I can find ways of being happy with the performance I've done. I can be proud of myself, um, but it stops there, I think. <laughs> Wait a second. You can't say it because you're, you're bashful, or you feel kind of um, modest, you don't want to say it, or you, you're not sure you believe it. <sighs> that's a hard one. Because um, on the other hand, you have to you have to know how good you are to be able to get up and do what you do too, right? You can't. You've, there's got to be some spine of confidence in you for surely to get up and dominate the the royal uh, opera house. 
Absolutely. I think it's there's a lot of trust um, and a lot of practice that goes into feeling like you've prepared yourself for what you're going to go on and do. And I'd say I'd emphasize the trust because I go on there breathing, keeping my nerves at bay, trusting myself. You've put in the work, you've you've earned your place and you're going to go on and perform and just let yourself go and trust that it's going to be mm. okay and trust that if things go wrong, it doesn't matter. It's not the end of the world. Um, or that you can handle it. You're going to be able to handle it. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. You know, one of the things I love about interviewing athletes, great athletes, and you're a great athlete. I mean, you're a dancer, but what you do is obviously so athletic, um, is the counterintuitive nature of, of how psychological what you do is. You know, there's the physical challenge, the stamina, the strength um, to, to get through these marathon performances in some case, but you've described the biggest challenge as the as a mind game of, of making enabling your body to do all of that. Tell me about the mind and the body needing to work together. It's a very important marriage, I'd say, the mind and the body. And I pay great importance to preparation, mental preparation before big performances. Um, so obviously the food is very important. I always have a risotto before a really big ballet, three hours before the show. It's kind of the perfect recipe for me to have that long lasting energy. Um, and the mental preparation comes with the night before, I will plug in the music, go through the whole ballet with my eyes closed and try and do everything as step perfect as possible, um, striving for it. And then the day of the show, I'll do the same thing, go through it mentally. So that way I don't fatigue my legs. I don't fatigue my body. I'm just rehearsing it in my mind. Um, and it's that, it's comparing it to, you know, if you allow a bull in a bull ring the night before, it's, it's their territory. So I like to think of it in that way that I'm kind of familiarizing my mind with what I'm about to go on and do. You you seem to thrive on, I mean, I know Sleeping Beauty and Swan Lake are two of the hardest classical ballets in the repertoire, and, and you you like doing them. You like the challenge. What is it about pushing yourself that appeals to you so much? They are definitely two of the hardest ballets I've ever done. Um, I like the technicality. I like the I like the feeling that drive of keep you know to keep pushing through it to achieve those pinnacle moments when the the rosadage in the sleeping beauty when that goes well and i feel like i'm on my balance it's it's such a sense of achievement and pride that i think you know pat on the back you know you you've done a good job um and to get through a marathon like that and to be happy with what i've done that's that's what i strive for to feel the audience with me and there is that sense of you can feel whether the audience is with you or it's not um and that's an amazing that helps the drive throughout the performance as well with swan lake swan lake has been so present in in my life in so many stages it was the first ballet i saw live it was one of the ballets that i featured in as a baby swan when i was at white lodge at the age of 14 and it was, it, I managed to dance the role, the main role in my first year as a principal dancer. 
And it just came so full circle that I watched a documentary that I featured in when I was a baby swan at the age of 14. Hmm. And there I'm interviewed and, and I say, you know, it would be a dream for me to dance this role one day. And I kind of, I rewatched that before I had my debut and I thought, wow, if I could tell that little girl that one day you will, so, you know, it's it's really moving when things like that happen. Um, but to go back on your point of them being so supremely difficult and classical, I love the challenge. It drives me to to just get better than myself every single time. And when you've got those fuates and you're exhausted and you can't see and you achieve them, it's an incredible feeling. Again, I mean, it's it's an interesting insight into you again you can get to the top of the mountain but you're not satisfied to just rest there you you want the challenge uh you and and you're exerting you're pushing yourself you you posted recently on instagram yasmin um you said i want to quote you thank you feet ankles legs and hips for allowing me to push your limits and and you, and you then say i wonder if they had a voice what they might say in return so what do you think your own <laughs> your own body would say to you? I think a lot of the time they'd be like, stop, please. <laughs> yeah, I definitely push them to their limits sometimes. But, but it's a funny thing. Again, it's that mind-body connection. I like to think that if I'm in contact with my feet and I thank them and I'm grateful that they kind of, they'll keep with me, that we'll stay a team. And if ever there's a little niggle, I call it, or an injury, um, you know, I kind of talk to it and say, you know, come on, you're doing so well, you can do this. And I think it's that positive affirmation. I believe that it does something to your body that you're kind of connected. So I like to I like to think that way, a bit spiritual maybe. By the way, you've mentioned food a couple of times in this interview. I'd be remiss if I didn't pick up on that. I love how you are undermining the, the stereotype of ballerinas not ever eating or eating enough. Uh, uh, your love of making pasta at home, the risotto you mentioned. Uh, I, I also read that you've, you always have a steak the night before performance. Is that true? Yes, it is. Um, sorry to any vegans and vegetarians out there. Um, <laughs> What's that about? Well, I obviously it's got a very, very high iron content. Um, and I'm just, disclaimer, I'm not a nutritionist, so I'm not giving this ad advice to anyone, um, but this is just what works for me. Um, I genuinely feel a difference. If I have a steak the night before and I dance the next day, I really feel stronger. Um, and I know I've, you know, I've read up a lot about veganism and, and you can get the same with beans and pulses, et cetera, but I find this works for me. And I, I don't have that much red meat. It's just before a big performance, something like Swan Lake or Beauty, I do have a big steak with a bunch of pesto pasta. That's kind of, that's my go-to night before meal. And the day of the show is the risotto. And again, uh, Ricky, the fiance thought that, he, you were going to shave off a little piece of the steak and give the rest to him. and <laughs> Yeah, no chance. <laughs> he's, he's not, he, is he a dancer, by the way? No, no, he's not a dancer, no. Was that a conscious choice? I'm not going to end up with a dancer? <laughs> no. Um, it, yeah, it just kind of, I guess you just meet who you meet. And, but I'm, I'm grateful to have that because I feel it gives me balance. Um, I like having the separation of my ballet life and my outside life. Um, I feel like that helps me, it helps me to have that separated. 
Um, it kind of recharges me come the summer holiday. I do pay great importance to taking a break. You hear of all these dancers, you know, that just never stop. I pay great importance to having that break, be it one week or two. Um, and we've been very fortunate, you know, the, the upside of the pandemic is having a bit more time free to be able to take those breaks. Um, and that recharges me and resets me. And you know, sometimes at the end of the day, if I'm focused on my work and there's this, that and the other to come home and just be told that it's not the end of the world. Sometimes that's just all you need to hear. And you go, yeah, you're right. Congratulations, you. by the way. The engagement was just a few months ago, right? In Italy. Thank you. And I mean, I feel bad for him because having you as a partner, this athlete, I mean, the poor guy, he's got to like, you know, hit the gym every day to, to desperately, <laughs> desperately keep up so that if he's standing next to you in a, an Instagram photo, it doesn't look like the, the number 10, you know, or something, right? I mean, he's got to- He does hit the gym every day. <laughs> of course, of course, he's traumatized. He's, <laughs> he's got to keep up somehow. Um let me uh, let me end off. This has been such a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, uh, you're very accessible and and smart and and, and uh, as an Iranian Brit, I, I could only be proud of you. You are the first um, half Persian ballerina, the only Middle Eastern ballerina to be in the Royal Ballet Company. Um, how aware are Iranians? Uh, that you are one of us. I mean, I hear you have quite an Iranian following in social media now. And um, tell me about what they say to you. Well, it makes me feel very proud that I can represent them. Um, I know it's it's not easy um, in that part of the world to access dance. And I got a message from a young boy who travels three hours to Tehran weekly and dances in an empty swimming pool um, because he's passionate about it and and expressed that, you know, I kind of I'm that light for him. To, to keep going that motivation. And to me, it's very moving, um, very moving. And I, you know, I hope that I can continue to inspire and help in any way I can um, these hopefuls, these young hopefuls um, to pursue dance, you know, because it makes them happy and gives them joy and allows them that escapism as well. Um, and it, it is very, very moving for me to receive their messages. Um, and I, I'm I'm very touched every time. Yeah, I can I can only imagine your dad would be really proud that there's folks in Iran or Iranians around the world following you and um, sharing that pride. Absolutely, and I think you know it's there's a family there's a feeling of family with that. Every time I meet an Iranian, I feel like you know it's part of family, um, and I you know I love hearing the accent when they speak English. They have this very particular accent. Um, and it just, it feels like home. And it's its special when Iranians come together. I feel like there's just that brotherhood every time that there's that, that something that connects you together, um, no matter where they are in the world. Just like meeting you as well. <laughs> hmm. Same. A final question to you. I mean, you, this upcoming performance of Giselle uh, on the Covent Garden stage, uh, it's going to be streamed worldwide. I mean, I know you've done a, a lot of big things. You're, you're a big deal. But um, how's that going to feel to be performing and knowing that people around the world are watching in real time? I mean, it's quite daunting, of course, if I think about it like that. Um, but I try and think of the bigger picture just being in the moment and and dancing in 
going on in that time. Um, but it's, of course, it's a it's a big weight on my shoulders to to know about the the numbers. I think someone told me once the numbers, but when I was doing a Romeo and Juliet streaming a few years ago, and I said, "Don't tell me. <laughs> I'd rather not know. Um, just keep that out of my mind. I'm just in the moment dancing." Um, but I'm so glad that. That we can do this now to make ballet and dance so accessible no matter where you are in the world not everyone can come to an opera house so if it's someone you know just accessing a computer somewhere god knows where um enjoying the performance um i'm very happy it's such a pleasure to talk to you thank you for making the time uh congratulations on all that you've done i can only hope that we get to see you in person either here in canada or in england sometime soon um thank you for this Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you too. Bye-bye. Ciao. Bye. Yasmin Nardi, principal dancer at the Royal Ballet. Her upcoming performance in the romantic ballet Giselle on the Covent Garden stage will be streamed worldwide. Yasmin Nardi joined us from London, England today. Microphone's back on for Captain Reza, Groovy Shia, and the fabulous Keon. Well, that didn't disappoint me. Not at all. She's exactly what I, uh, you know, so so composed, smart, focused. Yeah, so much respect. I, there are little girls probably that are just finding out about her now uh, who aspire to be ballerinas and did ne- probably never thought it was, it was possible until until someone like her comes along it's and possible to be at that level to be, be a yeah. Persian ballerina it's, I you know it's massive I'm not gonna lie to you I didn't know much about her and I didn't think it was that big of a deal having her on the How show until I looked you. her up and thank, listened thank to the you. interview yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm, now I'm actually proud quite proud yeah. that we were able this to is what happens when you watch car chase <laughs> movies 24-7 <laughs> I know that's I want to make I'm gonna make it a point to go to London at some point to watch her I, oh, I wow, really yeah. want to do great that. to see her yeah, yeah. make sure what were you gonna say Captain Reza sorry I cut you off I was gonna say the only thing that it was well first of all she's very well spoken let's let's all mm-hmm. agree on that mm-hmm. like very articulate fantastic speaker but uh when she was talking about uh letters that she gets from iran and uh, of that little boy who drives three hours to tehran so that he can like dance yeah. and uh yeah. it was just so heartbreaking i'm like you see, like what yeah. chance does he have exactly. well, th- that guy like there yeah. are a lot of people out there and uh who may not ever have a chance to get to where they really truly want to get and they may have the talent and the, p- the push the car we say in farsi um uh, but they would uh, they wouldn't have the yeah you don't want to you don't want to take uh take away from the sheen of just hearing from yasmin for the no. last hour to, to, to talk about vaz <laughs> no, no, Iran. No, no, but no, no, but it, no. it, you're you're not wrong like a country of 80 million people millions of people mm. most of them young by yeah. the way mm. yeah and could you just imagine that you can't even aspire to be her because you're you're not even allowed to f- dance in the no. i mean it, you know in public i mean it's just a what a what a mess what a mess what a sad sad situation but anyway i i i i knew that i sensed that i knew that she would be someone who is mm-hmm. as focused and disciplined uh I, I of course you guys know me well enough to know i love that yeah. i love 
I just the, the amount of work that this person does and her focus and even the regimented like I eat a steak dinner mm, that every yeah. night before the and a performance pasta, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah the risotto and yeah I love it I I thought uh, um, I, I'm I'm envious that she's someone who um, I, I really do believe half the battle in life is knowing at an early age who and what you want to mm, be. Yeah. And so I'm envious that she yeah. just knew, you Same. know, she figured it out from being a kid. And then it's just, how do I get there? And yeah. do I have the discipline? Do I have the support? She had the support of her parents, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. But, but uh, I mean, this is someone who knows, seems to know who she is and what she wants and uh, obviously has disappointments and anxieties like uh, all of us. But, but um, yeah. wow, yeah, yes, Rashaya, go ahead. Yeah, I, I love that scene that uh, uh, where her mother said to her that, "Oh, honey, you don't have to do if it's hard." And yeah. she said, "No, I. This is my way. I yeah. mean, I'm right. just paraphrasing." She said that. that you're doing that. You're saying that for yourself, yes, not for me. Not for me yeah. And that she's like 13 when she says yeah. that. Or yeah, I love that too. But it's it's actually uh, kind of bizarre for me to say to think that you didn't know what you wanted to be since you were just because you had success quite an early age and you were you were a musician, you were in a successful band, and then you became a broadcaster. So. Didn't you know what you wanted to I do? I kind of knew that I wanted to. I I knew that. I knew in my gut that I would always be doing something that's public. Mm-hmm. So everything that I've done, being a musician or a writer or being on TV or radio, it has to do with the public. But I no, I didn't. I mean, I was playing drums at yeah. age four on on mm-hmm. uh, a, BBC a BBC show, you know. Right? <laughs> so I was like, but but uh, no, I mean, you know, I, I had all the. I also had the confusions of the Persian family yeah. and the expect. I mean, it was pretty clear that, and like they st- one by one, things, things fell away. <laughs> he's probably not going to be an engineer. <laughs> Let's hold out for doctor. No, he's not going to be a doctor. <laughs> He'll be a lawyer. Oh no, he's got into <laughs> political science and his left wing. You know, yeah. so that's uh, the other thing with growing up Persian. Like, you're it depends on what kind of parents you have. Of I mean, course. I I wasn't allowed to do a lot of things. Can you imagine? Th- th- this is what I said it in the you interview. Did, yeah, but can you? imagine Yasmin like what what she where she's reached mm-hmm. can you imagine having a Persian parent this is what this is what I want every Persian parent I want them to listen to her yeah. and and think about where she's gotten to and and you know how proud we are of her and think about the fact that uh, how many parents would at age 12 say no 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 I'm sorry you're not gonna you know yeah. you can do that as a hobby right. get get your degree mm-hmm. and then you can be ballerina whatever you want you exactly. know which of course is bullshit because yeah. the, no you know there's there's by definition some of these careers you can't start you're not gonna be able to be a you know, a, a hockey player or a ballerina or even really a musician yeah. if you're starting, you know, at a popular level, if you're starting when you're 30 years old, right. you know, it's right. just not going to happen. So I have no chance of becoming a ballerina. Reza June, I think we need to talk. <laughs> you're, but the window is closing. It's not entirely closed, but... Uh, yeah. Really looking yeah. forward to it. After if you're looking for a partner, you can. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting weirder and weirder. Shout out to Farid Damariyun and York National Realty. York National, based out of Aurora, Ontario, Canada, not too far from Toronto. The owner is a guy named Farid Damariyun. This is a boutique real estate brokerage company that provides top tier service from first time home buyers to investors looking for new opportunities in the communities they serve. Farid's also made it his mission to give back to the Iranian community in the diaspora. This episode of Rook is brought to you with some support from him and his team. 
A big thank you to Farid, Sean, and Nahal, and York National Realty for all they do. YorkNational.com. Hey, 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 it's Monday. And you know what that means. Letters of the week. their cereal today yeah, so their wheaties <laughs> what do you got for us Keon? okay so a few weeks ago we had an interview with hadi patovi and of mm. course he's the iranian american tech entrepreneur investor ceo and co-founder of the education nonprofit code.org yes it's exhausting just listing his achievements um so we have zoe meh wrote to us saying this one was quite an inspiration I've started my path in programming recently and really appreciate him and his work. I'm proud of him. Nice. Thanks, Zoe. And then Fiduza Hashimi wrote saying, Wow, I think this was one of the best episodes I have listened to. I didn't want it to end. What an amazing and inspirational person. He is full of positive energy and a great speaker. As Reza, our very own Reza, said, I am also proud to call myself Iranian because of him. Great job, Rogue Team. Hmm. Thanks, Peterza. And then, of course, last week we had uh, part five of the new uh, Contemporary History of Iran Rook series, and it was on the creation of Kanun. We had the founder and managing director of Kanun from 1965 to 1979, Lili Amir Ajumand, who joined us uh, for that interview. Mojgan Bigdillo wrote to us saying, all the things we missed growing up in Iran after the revolution, with lots of sad faces. Hmm. It's true. And then Cyrus... Although Kanun still exists. Right, but I mean, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Uh, So then Cyrus Safalbach also wrote to us saying, Oh my God, how nice, how humble, how great is she? Love this generation who did so much great work inside Iran. It's just lovely. Nice, yes. And then look at that, letter of the week. This week's letter of the week goes to Zoya Katuli who wrote to us saying, this episode brought tears to my eyes. Sweet memories of my childhood going to Kanun to pick a book and enjoy reading it in such a warm, happy, and friendly environment. It connected me to people, stories, theaters, and movies, which all helped improve my personality and made me who I am today. Thanks, Jianjian and Rook team. Well done. Beautiful. That's a lovely letter. Thank you for That's that. That's how much it meant to people. So, uh, yeah. I don't think I asked you, uh, mm-hmm. Shia, was, was Kanun a big deal for you? Yes, of course. I mean, even after revolution, still Kanun was the place that children could go mm. there and Except like. Except Reza. Yeah, I didn't go for some <laughs> odd reason. <laughs> but yeah. Parents just put me to English yeah. school and that didn't work out so <laughs> and also uh, every book that you read has a like a little canon logo on uh, it the yeah, little bird yeah the little bird Aww. yeah so yep. lovely hey uh, before we go today um, I gotta mention something which is this Friday mm-hmm. coming this Friday a new series from Rook Media uh-huh. and Young Keon oh is part Why of this that thing. young though? <laughs> <laughs> help me out. Here. I'm trying to help you. <laughs> All right, go on, go I'm, on. I'm doing my best to sell the series. <laughs> <laughs> young, beautiful Keon. <laughs> We're trying to get some views, Keon. Cooperate, please. 
no, we're not going to tell you what it is. I just, uh, oh, okay. Keon, you're, uh, yes. uh, yeah, I know you're excited it's, about this. It's the first of its kind. Let's it's just put it It's the first of its way. kind. It's yeah. going to be available to view as well as to listen to, right? Yeah. And now, now, can I, can we reveal it? It's nope, to, absolutely not. Stay tuned. I can't say the name. No, you cannot. No, All right. but but it's coming this Friday. All right, and, and it's 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 going to get a lot of attention. I'm sure. Okay. Oh, all right. Good yes. and bad, probably. Yes, I think I uh, I'm I. I mean, I know what it is. <laughs> I'm like, oh, really? Oh, <laughs> my goodness. What could, what could you be talking about? Gracious. But I am I I am excited for what you're doing yeah, and uh, yeah. what you you people. <laughs> there's more than just you. I know That's there's right. some there's some two people other, involved. There's two other people involved. All yes. right. Yeah. 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 And are their names Reza and no? They are not. No, <laughs> finally, not. <laughs> I have the opportunity to separate from Reza and Shaka. <laughs> but yeah. the music, actually, you have me on the show. <laughs> That's true. I can't escape that. As <laughs> We get it. All right. We are good at music. You went to Kanun. There is no escape from You haunt my dreams. All right. We will look forward to that this Friday, a new series featuring Keon coming up we'll let you we'll find out what it is when it's launched this is full time for Rook for today also check out the Contemporary History Run this Thursday new episode part 6 of that series the story of Kahan. hey for all things Rook including links to all these uh, different shows we're talking about rookmedia.com is the place to go rookmedia.com it's also where you can become a patron of our show and support us. Thanks to the amazing, amazing team who put this show together. Producer Susan, the fabulous Keon, Super Parisa, Ponce of the Artist, Savvy Roham, Aray Mertad, Captain Reza, and Groovy Shia. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe on any of our platforms if you've not done so already. You can find me on Instagram and Meta, the Facebook, at Gian <laughs> Mizun Vashi. <laughs>